Well, good morning, everyone. Welcome to Get Well Church. My name is Hunter Upton. I'm one of the pastors here uh, at our South Haven campus. Glad that you've joined us for worship this morning, especially if you are our guest. We're glad that you carved out time to be with us uh, on this Labor Day weekend. So it's been a few weeks since I have been uh, in the preaching position here on a Sunday morning, Uh, and that's because six weeks ago, uh, Upton Party of Three became Upton Party of Four. We welcomed our sweet Audrey uh, into the world on July 23rd, and uh, we are absolutely smitten with her. Uh, big brother included, we are, we are just, God is so good, my friends, uh, in so many ways. We're grateful for uh, the love that this church has shown us over the last almost two years that we've been here, but especially in the last uh, weeks as we've learned to begin to navigate uh, this new life as a family of four. It's been fun in a lot of ways. <laughs> uh, nervous laughter. All right. Um. So uh, I want to start off this morning, though, with uh, something for us all to think about. When when was the time that you received an invitation that you were really excited about? Maybe it was to a friend's birthday party, or maybe it was that guy or girl that invited you to their, to their birthday party that you really liked, and you were hoping that, you know, maybe they would like you too. Uh, maybe it was that wedding that uh, everyone was going to, and you're really excited you got an invitation in the mail for that. Uh, maybe it was a dinner invitation. Uh, for a family member or a friend that you hadn't seen in a really long time. I mean, the list could go on of invitations that we receive all the time. But what was that one invitation uh, that you were really excited about? See, here's the thing about invitations is that oftentimes when we receive one, we kind of look forward to it with anticipation, right? Uh, It starts to build as it gets closer to that time. You start picking out the outfit that you're going to wear, or uh, you make sure your schedule's cleared out, right? Uh, Maybe if if the occasion is is such as you, you bring a gift, right? So you go shopping, you find this gift. Well, we always look forward to invitations, I think. Uh, Something fun and, and exciting about it. Well, in the Bible, we're met with an invitation that we all have been given. And there's something really awesome about this invitation. So if you've got your Bible, go ahead and turn with me. We're going to be in John chapter 7. Uh, Jesus and his disciples, they're, they're at the Festival of Tabernacles. Um, and we're going to talk more about that in just a minute. Uh, but we're going to be in verses 37 through 44. Uh, we're going to see this invitation that we receive, that all of us have received, and Jesus gives it to us. So let's look. John chapter 7, beginning in verse 37. On the last and greatest day of the festival, Jesus stood and said in a loud voice, Let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. By this he meant the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were later to receive. Up to that time, the Spirit had not been given since Jesus had not yet been glorified. On hearing his words, some of the people said, surely this man is the prophet. Others said, he is the Messiah. Still others asked, how can the Messiah come from Galilee? Does not scripture say that the Messiah will come from David's descendants and from Bethlehem, the town where David lived? Thus the people were divided because of Jesus. Some wanted to seize him, but no one laid a hand on him. So this festival... This Israelite festival of booths, tabernacles, tents, shelters, whatever it is that your translation of the Bible might be calling it this morning, what it was was a celebration of remembrance. 
is the remembrance of the time when the Israelites had been taken into the wilderness after leaving slavery in Egypt. God, by his mighty and miraculous hand, brought them out of slavery, but they find themselves in the wilderness. But what did God do? He set up a way that he would be in relationship with them, and it was the tabernacle. And all the Israelites would camp around the tabernacle where the presence of God was. And you see this, this festival, it celebrated this fact that one day God would pour out his spirit upon the people. So it did two things. This festival, it, it did more than just remember the past. It also looked forward to the future, to a day when God would do something new. You see, God had provided for them, had given them water and food in the wilderness, but God was going to do something even more miraculous in the future. He was going to pour out, pour out his spirit among the people. Now, on the last and greatest day of the festival, the high priest, he would start at the bottom of the hill that Jerusalem was built on. There's a pool called the Pool of Siloam. And he would dip this golden bucket into the waters of that pool, fill it to the brim, and he would begin to walk up to the top of the hill where the temple was to the altar. And you see all along the way, this path, the Israelites are just lining the streets and they're shouting and singing beautiful songs to God, praising him for what he has done and what he's going to do. And as the high priest gets to the top of the temple at the altar, there's a hush that comes over the crowd. And it's at that moment that the high priest takes and he pours out this water onto the altar. And it represents this, this spirit that God is going to pour out upon the people. Now, let's look into the significance. We find this in Isaiah 44 and in Joel chapter 2. And we find these two Old Testament prophets longing for a day. In the future, when the Spirit of God would come. You see, in, in the past, the Spirit would show up and shows up in miraculous and beautiful and wonderful ways in the Old Testament. But just as fast as the Spirit comes, the Spirit leaves. But you see, there's something in, the, in these prophets. There's something in the promise of God that no longer would the Spirit just come and leave, but the Spirit would come and stay. Isaiah 44, the Lord promises this. He says, For I will pour out water on the thirsty land and streams on the dry ground. I will pour out my spirit on your offspring and my blessing on your descendants. They will spring up like grass in a meadow, like poplar trees by flowing streams. Some will say, I belong to the Lord. Others will call themselves by the name of Jacob. Still others will write on their hand the Lord's and will take the name Israel. Now, if you've ever had the chance to read the Bible, especially the Old Testament, or maybe you've heard it in some sermons, uh, there's a very common theme that kind of, it's like a refrain over and over again. Guess what? God's people rebel a lot. They're really just not good at following God. And ever since the beginning of time, when the first sin happened, it was the very first rebellion with Adam and Eve in the garden, God made a promise that one day, one day, the people would be able to faithfully follow the Lord. Joel chapter 2, God promises this, and he says, And afterward I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams. Your young men will see visions. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days. You see, friends, there's not one person of God's people that will not have the Spirit poured out upon them. 
And so let's go back to those closing ceremonies, if you will, of the festival. The high priest action is one that's a symbolic act that shows for us this, this idea that Jeremiah, that Isaiah and Joel both are pointing to. See, this nation, these people, they're longing. They're longing for the Spirit to be poured out. They're hungry and they're thirsty for the Holy Spirit to come out of the shadows and to do something new in their lives. Now, I want you to think about the imagery here. If you're in Jerusalem, if you ever get the chance to go to Israel, it's a fantastic and awesome experience. One of the things you'll notice is that there are, are places of beautiful, fertile ground. And then what seems like two seconds later, if you're driving in a bus, you're all of a sudden in the wilderness and it's barren and dry. They're in a land where water is not just the most plentiful thing ever. It's a, a life source. And so this dry and parched land, these dry and parched people are longing to have their thirst quenched. I've had a cold uh, a little bit. I think Henry must have given it to me. Um, but, you know, I've had to breathe out of my mouth because my nose has been stopped up some. And, man, your mouth just becomes really, your throat becomes really dry real quick. And, man, there's nothing better than taking a swig of water and just feeling the relief that comes with that, right? It's the same that, that their souls are feeling. If you've been longing for something, what have you been turning to? No, we want to quench that, that desert. We want the dryness to go away. And yet we all turn to something. Now, imagine for a moment the hush has come over the crowd. The pie priest has poured out the water on this altar to symbolize that one day God's going to pour out his spirit among the people. And Jesus stands up and says loud for all the people to hear, let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Anyone, come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. See, so here he is standing in the midst of all the people of Israel, and he claims loud for all to hear that this Old Testament prophecy, these promises that God has made, this hope that they've been looking to for the future, that now, in Jesus, the time has come. That this thing that you've been looking for, I'm here. I'm here. Come to me and drink. Come to me and drink. For thousands of years they've been waiting. And Jesus is here to fulfill the promise, to fulfill the need. He's offering God's spirit. He's offering the only thing in their lives that can quench that spiritual thirst. And that's why I think the prophet Ezekiel writes these words, another wonderful promise of the Lord. I will sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your impurities and from all your idols. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit in you to move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. Jesus says, anyone who is thirsty can come to me. Anyone who believes in me can come and drink. Jesus is inviting them to the fulfillment of this promise, this longing of their souls. Now, there's something important to notice about Jesus's invitation here, and it's what he's offering. 
He's offering living water. Now, I'm no survival expert, but I have watched a couple of shows on TV before and do know uh, that if you are in the wilderness and you find yourself there, it is not wise to drink water from a stagnant or still source. All right, the cow pond is not the place you need to be getting your, your water from, all right? Uh, the best source is what? It's moving water. It's, 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 it's living water because that is safe to drink water. Jesus is offering us living water. Living water. See, all of us are thirsty and all of us are drinking from somewhere. All of us are desiring to have this more fulfilling life and all of us are searching for something that can truly satisfy us. And the truth of the matter is, is that all of us are drinking from some kind of source. It's either a source of living water or it's a source of dead water. Where are you turning to to quench your thirst? Is it a job? Is it the bottle? Is it pornography? Is it intimacy? Is it grades? Is it sports? Is it distractions from social media? Is it a pill? Is it food? See, here's the thing is that all of those things are sources of water. They do somehow satisfy even a little bit. But the truth is, is that they can't fully satisfy our need. They're dead water, dead ends to what we're trying to truly find in our lives. Nothing can quench our spiritual thirst but Jesus. I want you to hear this, friends, is that the dirty wells of this world can never satisfy the deepest need of our soul, which only can be filled by Jesus. It's only Jesus. Only Jesus. St. Augustine in his uh, Confessions has this one line that has stuck with me for years and I absolutely love it. I'm pretty sure I've shared it here before, but we're going to share it again. Is that good? He wrote this. He said, you have made us for yourself, O Lord, and our hearts are restless until they rest in you. See, Jesus says, come to me. His invitation is simple and it's clear. Anyone who is thirsty, come to me. Anyone who believes in me can come and drink. Jesus' offer is one that will transform your entire life. Your entire life. It will transform your soul. And if we were to fast forward just a little bit toward the end of, of the Gospel of John, what we find is that Jesus willingly goes to the cross on our behalf giving his life for our sin because we couldn't do it on our own. And better than that, he's raised to new life on the third day by the power of God and does what? He ascends to heaven. And he tells us this in Acts, at the beginning of Acts, he tells us that he has to do so why? So that the spirit can come. And that's what we find is that the spirit comes and dwells on the people who believe in him. This living water poured out on thirsty souls. See, the Spirit gives us the ability to follow God. To come back into a beautiful and right relationship with Him that's not possible on our own. There is nothing in this world that will bring us into that life except for Jesus God knows we can't do it on our own. Heck, we all know, I think, that we can't do it on our own. But why do we keep going back 
over and over and over again to these dirty wells to find our satisfaction. We need the Holy Spirit. We need God's Spirit to come and fill us. So this is good news, this invitation that Jesus gives us. So let's, let's break it down. I think there are four observations for us to see in this invitation in, in John chapter 7. The first is this, is that Jesus' invitation is to all who hear. When Jesus stands up and he gives this invitation, he doesn't say, hey, when, when you've got all of it together, come on. Hey, if you, if you prayed the right prayer, come on. Hey, when you've given the right amount of money, you can come on. No. Let anyone. There's no restriction on this invitation of who can come. All are invited to come to Jesus. It doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter who you think you are. It doesn't matter how you've been defined. Jesus says, come, all of you. The second thing we see is that Jesus' invitation is based on our need. Now, I would argue that many of us don't have a, a physical thirst need necessarily. Uh, we can go get water at any time. There's water fountains out here. Uh, some of you do choose Dasani to be your water source. I'm not really sure why, uh, but that's okay. That's fine. Um, water is water, I guess. Um, but the thing is, is that we all have a spiritual thirst. We have a spiritual thirst that can't be quenched by this world. And, and, and oftentimes we try to quench it with anything other than Jesus. We try to find the things of this world. And, you know, we may thirst for significance or fame or power or wealth uh, or close relationships so that somehow that fills that void that we feel inside. The truth is that we all have a God-shaped hole in our souls that cannot be satisfied with anything other than Jesus. Some turn to intimacy, hopping from one relationship to another, trying to find that, that, that void to be filled. Husbands leave their wives for other women, thinking, hey, we're going to be happy. But guess what? They're not. Wives leave their husbands to do the same thing. And guess what? They're not happy either. And it's not even just relationships. Think about jobs. We hop from one job to another in this quest to somehow find fulfillment, to climb the corporate ladder, that somehow we're going to find significance in this and I'm going to feel good about myself. And yet we feel broken still. We love these jolts of excitement that we find in life. And yet what happens is, is as soon as the excitement is over, we find ourselves still and stagnant and still feeling empty. If you want to end this cycle, you've got to realize your need for Jesus. You've got to realize that. Because it's only Jesus who can end this relentless pursuit in our lives that we keep chasing after things that will never satisfy us. See, Jesus knows that we're worn out. He knows that you've been beaten down. He knows this. And he sees it. And he's moved with compassion to do something about it. He offers an invitation to each of us. But here's the thing is that until you see your need, you cannot receive. We have to see our need. Now, the third observation is this, is that Jesus's invitation requires our personal response. 
He calls us to participate uh, by coming to him, right? Come to him. He's inviting us into a relationship, not religion, but a relationship with him. He wants to do something in our lives by quenching our parched souls, by giving us living water, the Spirit. But in order to receive, you've got to put aside, you've got to repent, you've got to turn from all of these old ways, these other things that we're going to to find the source of life. And we've got to focus and come to him, the giver of this living water. No one else can make that decision for you. You have to make that decision for yourself. And then the final observation is this, is that Jesus' invitation calls us to participation. He calls us to participate by drinking the living water. He says, come and drink. Come and drink. Remember what it's like whenever you've got that dry and scratchy throat and and you drink something and it, it helps soothe? Friends, the Spirit of God, when it comes and dwells in us because of our faith, our hope, our believing in Jesus, soothes our tired and weary and dry souls. He takes this stony heart and he makes it a heart of flesh. The Spirit poured out among us. The Spirit soothes and comforts, strengthens and renews. Friends, this spirit that God gives us, it makes dead things alive. That's the spirit that God has for us. It doesn't just stop with us, though. Think back to what Jesus said. He said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. See, here's the thing is that the spirit's impact on us doesn't just affect us. Like, thank you, Lord, that it does. But guess what? It goes beyond us. They flow, that spirit flows from within us to the world around us, to our relationships, to our interactions that we have from day to day, from the way that we bless others. See, it changes our lives. It changes our hearts. It changes our minds. It changes our behavior. It changes all of us. The spirit does. Friends, if you've got the spirit, it is, you, there is fruit that comes from that. There's fruit that comes from that. Rivers of living water flowing from within them. Tony Evans points out this. He said, the spirit resides in our innermost being. We have a built-in filling station. I love that. A built-in filling station that is always pumping fresh life into us. Friends, that's God's spirit in us. And because of that, these rivers of living water from God himself flow out to the world around us. So let's not keep that to ourselves. Jesus' invitation is clear and it's very simple. Let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink because the Spirit will flow out from them like rivers of living water. Now, if you look back at the end of John chapter 7, that, that passage that we were reading earlier, you'll notice that this invitation is met with some mixed reactions, right? Some say he's a prophet that they've been expecting. Some say that he's the Messiah. Some uh, say that they can't believe it because if you look at his pedigree, it makes no sense that this would be uh, a God in the flesh, Emmanuel, right? There's no way. Some even want to arrest him. If you think about it, some are hopeful, but they're still a little skeptical. 
Others say he's the Messiah. So they're all in. They're like, yes, this guy is it. And while others think there's no way that this could be so. And then there's some who want to get rid of Jesus. Why? Because he's messing up their comfortable lives that they can control right now. Doesn't the same thing happen when we receive this invitation and we go all in? Don't we begin to, to have a naysaying happen around us? Like whether it's externally, it's those who, who are around us, or internally we start to question things for ourselves. You see, when we begin to believe in Jesus, when we begin to follow him, when we, we take hold of this invitation that he's given us, I think sometimes we, we begin to think that life should have been really easy, and then we find that that's not always the case, and so we start questioning, right? Maybe... There are those things that used to satisfy us that we begin to let creep back in to our lives. Or we begin to believe the empty promise that they once held might be true when that's still not the case. And any of us, when we place our faith in, in, in God, what happens? We're met with opposition from the world around us. We have loved ones and friends that are like, you are crazy. You really want to be called a Christian? We also have those that are like welcoming it with open arms, right? And I think that there are others who will find any excuse that they can possibly find to, to not believe that Jesus is the only way. Here's the point. Is that the world's loud voice will always try to compete with the still small voice of God. But Jesus is the only life-giving voice that matters in our life. He's the only life-giving voice that matters in our life. So how do you respond when you're met with competing voices? I want to encourage you with this. If you are all in, if you've accepted this invitation, abide in Jesus. Don't let the world tell you and try to discourage you from following Jesus. Stay steady with him. Let him be the source of this living water in you and through you. And friends, if you're here today and you're hearing this invitation for the first time, or maybe you accepted the invitation, but yet have let those little uh, worldliness, you know, things satisfy you again, hear again afresh the invitation of our Savior, the one who loves you and cares about you, the only one who can truly satisfy the deepest part of your soul. Stop running to other sources. Come to him. Come to him. So how are you going to respond this morning? I think about the festival. And I think about as the high priest goes and he begins to pour out the water and the hush that's over the crowd. Friends, what if we hushed our lives long enough to hear the invitation that Jesus is giving us? This invitation to more. This invitation to to life.